Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين حمدا يليق بجلاله وعظيم شأنه وسلطانه والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم أجمعين السلام عليكم برز رحمة الله وبركاته I begin by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for allowing us to gather here on Yom al-Jum'ah this is a blessed day when Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم describes it as the Eid of the Muslim and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to shower us with his blessings and with the presence of the malaika so that they are witnesses that we discussed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's deen and we discuss his book and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So my discussion inshallah is, uh, is an important one uh, um, and it's about akhlaq uh, in Islam, morals in Islam. Now this topic is very important uh, because the way morals has become taught, the way morals has become approached is that it has become a means to an end. A means to an end. So what I, what I mean by this is, <coughs> attaining good morals, and ridding yourself of bad morals, has become a solution to a problem. In fact, it's become a solution to our problems. And the issues that the Ummah face, back home, and we face over here, tend to be attributed to morals. And this is the context in which I want to discuss this topic, inshallah. Now, the talk, the talk is not more on. It's not more about the um, the virtues of honesty, for example, or the virtues of being kind. This is something that you hear a lot in the masajid, and you hear, you can find this uh, resource online everywhere. There's lots of extensive um, uh, talks that describe how you should attain these morals. But this is not my objective. My objective is simply to explain how bettering our akhlaq so that we will become well-mannered people, will occur as a natural outcome of following the ahkam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and through the existence of an Islamic state, rather than it itself being a method to solve the problem that we face. So this is my objective. Inshallah, to do this, I just want to make a couple of points. So bear with me, inshallah. I hope I will not bore you to death. Um, If I ask you what the problem of the ummah is, what would you say? What are some ideas? If you ask someone, what, what issues do we face, whether it's here or back home, what would you say? Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. Disunity. Disunity. Poverty. Poverty. Leadership. Leadership. Corruption. Corruption. Terrible. Yeah, anything else? So yeah, these are some of the things we hear. Corruption. We hear sometimes, oh, there's no drainage system back home. There's no infrastructure. The government is corrupt. Everyone's uh, doing his own thing. There's no knowledge. Right? So these are very various different things we hear. We have so many issues. And then when we ask, what's the solution? What do you tend to hear? No. <laughs> right there, mashallah. That's one, that's one thing. But the main thing we hear is, perfect yourself. Or, if we were good people, we would be in a better place. So the situation we are in now, 
if me and you become nice people, jolly people, people who are all uh, funny and nice and everything, then our situation will change. So if you become morally good, everything is going to change. Society will change. And we hear a very strong contrast between our lands back home and uh, the West, for example. People say to you, here yeah, people are very honest. Yeah? Especially in business. They're very honest people. People open doors to you here. The society caters for you. It gives you opportunities. It gives you benefits. Right? They respect others. And the one we hear, I've heard quite often is, they queue up in lines. We don't have that back home. They, they literally queue up in lines. Maybe not in London. Maybe somewhere up north. But they queue up in lines. Right? They don't jump the queue. And many other things that we hear. These are people describing they have such good behaviors, the way they act, the way they're, they're moral. If we were like these people, we could be better. Look at how progressive they are. Look at where they've uh, got to. And then look at us. We can't even line up our shoes properly for them uh, when we go to the masjid. We're going for salah. We don't even put our shoes on the rack. If I want to go to the street, I can't go past a copper without paying him money. I have to bribe him. Alright? If I go to the marketplace, I want to buy some bread, there's, some, there's always someone trying to cheat me. And if we make all these people morally good, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will change our situation. And He will give us His nasr. Now when it comes to giving da'wah to society here, what do we hear? Give nasiha to the Muslim. Alhamdulillah, that's good. And to the non-Muslim, make your character shine. Be moral. Be good. Show in your actions. Because when they see your behavior, what's going to happen? They will naturally become attracted to Islam. Because they see a role model. They see you as an example of someone who is a good Muslim. And this is the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. No doubt this is true. The Prophet ﷺ, through his character, many people were attracted to Islam. But is that it? Is that what da'wah means? And then when it comes to the issue of explaining the purpose of nubuwa, the purpose of prophethood, the purpose that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Muhammad ﷺ to us, was he ﷺ was mainly sent to do what? To perfect the morals of the people. And the hadith normally cited is, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa said, That I was sent to perfect the morals of the people. To the highest of morals, specifically. Makarim al-akhlaq. To the highest of morals. Now what's the common error between these points? The common error between these points is two things. Firstly, it's a misunderstanding of the topic of morals and where it fits in Islam. And secondly, it's not knowing how to deal with the problems our society and our ummah faces. Whether it's here or whether it's back home. So when you view Islam as morals, or morals is the most important thing in Islam, and you don't understand how we fix our situation back home, what's naturally going to happen? You're going to merge the two. You're going to put one and one together. You're going to say morals equals solving my problem. That's the way forward. Now, this misunderstanding is not because people are insincere. We don't question the sincerity of people. Yeah, mashallah, some people who say this are more sincere than I am. More sincere than we are in some of the things we do. But nonetheless, it's still a misunderstanding of the topic of morals and how we change and fix society's issue. So this is what we need to address. 
There's three things we need to clarify. Number one, what morals are and where they fit in Islam. Two, what society is comprised of. And three, what is Islam? And in the context of the previous two, how do we then solve our issues? How do we solve the issue of the Ummah? So if we clarify these things, we will solve our problems. So number one, what are morals? Now a moral itself is an attribute which defines someone. It defines who you are. How you build it is you practice it over time until it becomes a habit. When people look at you, they see your character. So when we hear that you show your character to people so they're attracted to Islam, this isn't necessarily wrong. Because people see you and they say, this person is a just person. This person is a kind person. This person has a lot of shyness. They see these things in you. It's part of your personality. What's the most apparent feature of you is what's observable. These are your akhlaq. These are your behaviors. These are your etiquettes. This is what people see in you. Now when it comes to the topic itself, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nahl verse 90, He says, بعد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ وَإِيْتَاءِ ذِي الْقُرْبَى وَيَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ وَالْبَغِي يَعِذُكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ Indeed Allah orders justice and good conduct and giving to relatives and forbids immorality and bad conduct and oppression. He admonishes you that perhaps you will be reminded. Now this ayah we hear a lot in khutbahs. When you go to Jumu'ah, at the end of every khutbah, before salah, this is something the Imam always cites. In Allah, ihsan, and so on and so forth. But in this ayah, when you actually pause and think about it, there is a very, very important message. A very important message. And there is a very important concept in it. An idea by which we live. <coughs> and it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding morals. He is commanding us to do moral actions. So the ayah mentions in Allah Ya'muru bil Adl. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands that you be just. Wal ihsan and that you have good conduct. Wa idil qurba. is to give to give to your relatives so that you can build your relationship with them, keep maintain ties. And on the flip side, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is prohibiting certain things, certain morals, which he's saying what? Wayanha anil fahsha. He forbids morality. والمنكر, bad and evil actions والبغي, oppression or, or tyranny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding morals this is a very important thing in the ayah so then when we look to the example of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and there is no better example than the example of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in Surah Al-Qalam verse 4 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ that and verily you O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa are of great character. And Aisha radiallahu anha when describing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa she would say he is the walking Qur'an. Or everything that was embodied in the Qur'an he took it and made it him, he embodied it himself. It became his personality. Now there's something interesting I came across when I was researching this ayah that in Tafsir ibn Kathir and a few others this is they mentioned the issue of akhaq. In Tafsir al-Jalalain and Tafsir al-Tabari it mentions moral here in the context of the deen as well. Islam. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi you are upon a great deen. Inna as in you are upon the deen that makes you great. This is what he's saying to him. This is mentioned in Tafsir al-Tabri and Jalalain. And the context is, the first seven ayat of Surah Al-Qalam 
were revealed to Muhammad ﷺ when Quraysh were calling him names. They were calling him a sahir, a magician. They were calling him a liar, a kathab. But the, the Mufassir here is saying, they're saying this in the context of him bringing the deen. Because before Islam, before Bi'tha, what did they used to call Muhammad ﷺ? al-Amin, the truthful and trustworthy one. So they knew that his character was the best amongst them. He was the most moral person amongst them. So what this ayah is addressing here is, now that he's got a deen, they're slandering him because of the deen he has. This is mentioned in, in these two tafsir. So from this ayah that I mentioned, and from the ayah before, we see that Islam is actually pushing people, and commanding people to acquire good akhlaq, to acquire good morals, and forbids us from acquiring the bad ones. But when the text in the Quran and the Sunnah mention morals, they mention them in the capacity as ahkam, as divine rules. So justice, being someone who's trustworthy, being someone who's honest, and all these other akhlaq, they're mentioned as ahkam that we follow. And it did not bring these morals just as morals only, just ethical attributes. The Quran does not imply this, the Sunnah does not imply this, whether implicitly or explicitly. They came down as ahkam, not as morals for the sake of being morals. So we take them as they are, ahkam, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He's commanded us to do. Nothing more, nothing less. So brothers, when we seek to teach uh, morals to people, especially to the younger generation, to our children, or wish to learn them ourselves, or wish to act upon them, we must take them as commands. And we refrain from those which are bad. And for example, the Prophet said in the hadith, لا تحقرن من المعروف شيئا ولو أن تلقى أخاك بوجه طلق This is uh, narrated in Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ said, Do not belittle any good deed, even if it means meeting your brother with a cheerful face. And the context of meeting your brother with a cheerful face is, it's a deed. It's an action. So, uh, so Muhammad ﷺ is saying, this is from Islam. Islam is telling you to smile at your brother. To be of that uh, to be of that behavior because you get ajr for it. Rather than it's just a moral for the sake of being a moral. Now the question I think is really important to address because this is something we see very often in the society is do we then have the right to define what a good moral is and what a bad moral is? <coughs> if we're saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, the, is giving us commands of morals is that in contradiction with how this society views it? Which is, do we have the right to then define our own morals? Do we know the good moral from the bad moral as people? Or do we need guidance for it? Is our mind the arbitrator? Does our mind tell us what right and wrong is? Do we tell ourselves, I'm going to be kind because I think it's a good moral? Is it the society that we live in? Are we just sheep who follow society? Whatever society defines as good, I'll take as good. Whatever defines, uh, society defines as bad, I'll take it as bad. So do we follow the crowd or do we follow our own nafs? Do we follow our own mind? Do we have the right to do that? And we don't. We don't have the right because we don't know what's good and bad for us. <laughs> we don't know what's good and bad for us. This is because when we look into the context of morals and beyond morals, any action, the sharia decides what's good and bad for us. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
is the one who creates actions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who knows good and bad. So then when we put the two together, naturally the one who would define morals, whether they're good and bad for it is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It cannot be ourself. The danger of making the mind the basis for what good and bad is, is that we would exercise kindness for the sake of being kind. For its ethical value. Just because it's an etiquette. Or we would be honest for the sake of being honest. And when we look at something like harshness, being stern, being someone who is aggressive, uneasy, we would look at it as a bad moral. Because when we see how it's applied, when people are harsh with others, we say, well, that's bad. I don't want, I don't want to have that moral in me. That's not good. But is that really the case? This is the danger of making the mind your own uh, legislator to define what good morals and bad morals are. Now if we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides good and bad morals, then surely Islam will tell us what good and bad is, right? So therefore, is being soft and gentle always good? And is being harsh always bad? Not really, no. If we look to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, we look to the guidance of the Sharia, it tells us to be harsh with the unbelievers who afflict harm on the Muslims. Now that's not a morally nice thing, is it? I'm being harsh to someone. Is that nice? It's not nice. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to you, the one who causes harm to the Muslim, be harsh to him. In the way you account him. In the way you deal with him. Within the remits of Islam. And also another example is on the flip side, I want kindness is a good thing. We all see kindness and we say this is something that's a nice attribute. I want it for myself. But in the courts of justice in Islam, when it is uh, decided that someone has committed adultery and the evidence is clear, the qadi, the judge, is not allowed to show kindness in that situation. So he won't say, you know what, this person was accused of adultery, but you know what, they're a really nice person. And I'm a nice guy. I don't like punishing people. Because I don't like punishing people, let's not do the punishment. Let's cancel it. Let's all be good, off you go. I'll let you off. This is haram. The hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what? Someone commits adultery, punish them. Don't show kindness in this situation. Or if some, or if two people come to the courts and say to the judge, Ya Qadi, this man stole my goods. And it's clear that the evidence is clear he stole his goods. Can the Qadi turn around and say, I can't drop his hand off, how is he going to eat? How is he going to drink? That's not nice, I can't do it. He, needs, he, he has a life as well. It's not right for me to do it. Why are you showing compassion to someone who Allah is telling you to punish? He's telling you to be harsh and execute the punishment. Afterwards you can be kind. Fine. But when it comes to the punishment, execute it as the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now let's take another example. Let's take the example of lying. Is lying always bad? Probably say yes, isn't it? No. It's not always bad. When is it good? Well, it could be in the in a war situation, maybe. In a war situation, very good example. Or the other example everyone says is, when it comes to the cooking of your wife, you can lie to her and say it's all right. So again, the Sharia has defined for you 
when lying is good and when lying is bad. An example of when lying is good is in a situation of war. Yani, let's say the enemy captures you and they say to you, listen, where's your army? In your head, you're not going to say, you know what? Everyone knows I'm an honest guy. So I will stick to my principles. What do you want to know? How many men do you have? 300,000. Do you have military? Yes, 200 aircrafts. Have you got ships? 100. We're going to shut you guys tomorrow morning at 9am. What are you doing? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling you, lie to these people so you don't sacrifice your ummah. You don't sacrifice your army. Lying here is fine. Because Islam told you it's fine. So when you spill the beans and you tell what the army is, you're finished and they're finished. What are they going to do with you afterwards? Well done mate, off you go. Bang. Finished. You have no value to them. They got what they want out of you. So being nice for the sake of being nice, didn't work, they did it. And then you didn't do, you didn't be nice because the sharia told you to. It's because you thought, let me stick to my principles. The other big danger of being moral for the sake of being moral and not abiding by the ahkam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that you will get no ajr for it. Zero ajr. If I'm honest, if I'm kind, if I'm someone who doesn't lie for the sake of not lying, then you're not doing it for anyone but yourself. You're not doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So where's the ajr in it? If there is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the hadith, in Allah la yaqbalu min amal, illa ma kana khalasan lah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not accept any action except which was done sincerely for Him. If you're doing it for yourself, where's the sincerity of it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Did you want to get somewhere with it? Is that what Allah told you to do? It was pointless in that situation to be kind and nice. All He got you was something that has no benefit for you on your scales on Qiyamah. So this is the mindset that, that we should have. <clears throat> A good example of this is, and it links to the issue of economics and trade. In the hadith of Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, التاجر الصدوق الأمين مع النبيين والصديقين والشهداء that the truthful and trustworthy tradesman is with the prophets, the truthful ones, and the martyrs in ranking. This is a very profound hadith. It's linking morals to actions. And it's telling you what from it. What, what can we understand from this hadith? That when you do an action that is, uh, or that is uh, based on the hukum shari'i, one, you get a really high ranking, which is with the prophets and with the shuhada. And two, the outcome from it is good as well. The moral outcome from it is good as well. So you don't go to the market and sell a defective product. Is that halal in the first place? No, it's not. So you've abided by a hukum here. So when someone comes to you and tries to buy something off you, you're honest in your trade. He asks for five loaves of bread, you give him five loaves of bread, as it is. You don't cheat him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, وَيْلُلْمُطَفِفِينَ Woe be to those who cheat in the marketplace, who play around with the scales, so that they can make profit off it. Here you're being honest in your trade. And the Prophet says, The truthful and trustworthy tradesman. So when you're truthful and trustworthy in your trade, what will you get out of it? You'll get the ajr of being with the prophets, but how will people view you? They will see you as this is an honest person. I know I can come back to this guy and get what I asked for. So this is part of your personality as well. People see in you honesty. People will interact with you based on your honesty. 
In Surah Al-Shu'ara, verse 39, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَهُمْ وَالْبَغْيُ هُمْ يَنْتَصِرُونَ And those who when tyranny strikes them, they defend themselves. Now this is the flip side. This is uh, a situation where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making something that you view as bad, which is harshness and aggression, as something that is good for you now. The moral scales have flipped now. Because someone who forgives is moral, fine. They say Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to forgive and forget uh, the... Um, the harm people inflicted upon him every night before he used to go to sleep. But when it comes to tyranny and oppression, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to you, don't be forgiving. Defend yourself. When tyranny strikes them, they defend themselves. So in, in the current context, in our current climate, when we look at Syria for example, when we look at Bashar al-Assad, when we see a man who's killing and murdering his own people, and after so many years of killing you and murdering you and uh, and um, harming your children, harming your women, you don't say, you know what, after all these years, let me forgive and forget. Let me go and have a, a deal with him uh, in a conference and try and establish stability for our people. What happened to the principles of Islam here? Why are your principles getting in the way of the hukum shari here? The command is to be harsh. This is the behavior, this is the etiquette you should show. What's making this unclear to you? Or when we look at the governments of the Muslims and the government here in the West, what do we see? We see them oppressing the people. In what sense? The laws that they put in place are oppressive. They are really oppressive. Here for example in this country, the weather is extremely cold, is bitterly cold. The amount of people on the street are in the thousands. They are continuously complaining from the cold, from the oppression that they are witnessing because the government is not providing for them any shelter. These people are counting the government. They're following the ayah actually. Harshness has, they're defending themselves from the aggression in the, in, from the understanding of the ayah. They're the ones who are speaking out against the oppression. They're being harsh against it. But when something happens back home, oh Allah ghafoor rahim. Allah's forgiving. This is not the principle we use. And if we look to the to the issue of ruling, for example, morality comes into ruling as well. What is the biggest thing you hear when you ask people about the government? They're corrupt. Every single government is corrupt. Politics is corrupt. They're all liars, they're all cheaters. So what? Leave it. Let's just work on ourselves. Let's just fix ourselves. But when we look to the system of Islam, the political system of Islam, and the leader of the Muslim, the Khalifa, it is haram for him to cheat. It's haram for him to accept bribes. It's haram for him to be aggressive and harsh towards the Muslimin when he is enacting the ahkam of Islam. In his capacity as a leader, he has the responsibility of looking after his people. Every one of you is a shepherd and you are responsible for your flock. This is his responsibility. So for him to then be oppressive towards the people, show harshness towards the people, these behaviors, these these ethics that he show, have no place in Islam and place in ruling. This is not the quality of a ruler. And the ahkam of Islam will be just by default. They will be just. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them just. And by observing these ahkam, by implementing these ahkam, 
the moral outcome will be achieved. It's not through morals you achieve this. It's through implementing it you actually achieve morals in society. And we know the example of Umar al-Khattab radiallahu Before Islam, he was known to be the harsh man. The really harsh man. This cold-hearted man. He did not even cry when uh, uh, newborn girls were being buried alive. For him, this was no issue. Bury them, so what? But after Islam, in his capacity as a ruler, just the thought of a child not having food used to make him weep every night. Just that thought. See how it changed. What changed him? Islam changed him. Islam defined for him how he should behave. His morals became in line with the Sharia, with the Ahkam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what changed him. So now if we, if we understand this from the context of why it's dangerous for the mind to be the, the, what decides for you what a good moral is and what a bad moral is, let's take it to, to society very briefly. How do people here view the issue of morals? Actually before that, if we view morals as just a nice thing by itself, then what difference really is there between a moral Muslim and a moral non-Muslim. <coughs> if you're just being nice for the sake of being nice, you're just doing exactly what society tells you to do. For them, morality is a nice thing. When they see someone who's moral, for them this is this is amazing, right? Every example at work, uh, some of you some of you may, may have done this. When you uh, bring chocolates in or bring some treats in, they always ask you, "Oh, what's the occasion? Why are you bringing chocolates in? What's the first thing they think of? He's got an ulterior motive." He wants something. No one is nice for the sake of being nice. What does he want? Does he want a pay rise? Does he want to move to a different place? What does he want from us? And if you say to them, no, I just thought I'll be nice, let me just bring some treats in. They're, they're, they're shocked. Say, oh, what a nice gentleman you are. That's great of you. Very nice of you. Oh, you're a very nice person. Let's start talking about it for a few minutes and then back to work. But the point is for them, this is, this is abnormal. It's ajib. Why is this guy being nice for? And they look up to it. They say, if you have this, this is amazing. But they don't do what? They don't conflict the morals with the issue of laws. And we'll come on to that point later, inshallah. So brothers, this is how you understand the topic of morals. That Islam has set down uh, akhlaq as commands and prohibitions from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we follow them correctly, naturally, the moral outcome will be achieved from these ahkam. But one thing to note as well, is that when it comes to the issue of detail and ijtihad and studying Islam in depth when it comes to solving the problem of the ummah, you will not find a detailed book of ijtihad on the topic of akhlaq as you will for example with the topic of economics or the topic of ruling system or the topic of education system because these the, the issue of ibadat the, the akhlaq they're there you'll find books explaining them but when it goes to explaining the detail and, if, and in the sense of changing society you won't find that in that context <coughs> So for it to then be seen as the way to change society is actually incorrect from the, even the Stafiqi perspective. This is not to say it's not important. I mean, the, the, having noble characteristics is very important, very high in Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said in the hadith that the dearest to me among you and the nearest to me on the day of judgment are those who have the best character. Now it's narrated in Tirmidhi. So the ajr is immense. If you want to be close to the Prophet ﷺ, I know without asking, every single one in this room wants to be close to Muhammad ﷺ. Who does not want to be close to Muhammad ﷺ? The 
The man who gave us this deen. The man who explained to us morals. And explained to us how you change society. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa the greatest of creation. You all want to be with him. I know that for a fact. And in another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, I guarantee a house in the surroundings of Jannah for those who give up arguing, even if they are right. And I guarantee a house in the middle of Jannah for those who abandon lying, even when joking. And I guarantee a house in the highest ranks of Jannah for those who have good character and manners. So we know that this is a very noble thing and it's a very important thing and something we must strive to achieve. But this brings me on to my next point in the context of society and change. Which is the context of this discussion. That if we become more, we'll fix everything. That's not how fixing societal issues work. Why? It's because society isn't just a bunch of individuals. You don't just change the moral of a person and expect society to change. That's not what society is. In fact, this is how this society deals with this problem. Everyone is individual, let him do his own thing. So if we're viewing it from the same lens, we're obviously going to put our solutions in the same criteria. We're going to say, if everyone's an individual, let's take Islam and fit it into that individual perspective. If we take a step back though, and view society from the Islamic lens, actually from a, just a practical perspective, society is composed of more than just an individual. So we don't do what this society does. We don't separate the moral code from the, from the laws. Nor do we merge them and make them the laws and the solution. We do what Islam does, which is what? If society is composed of four elements, which are people, individuals, the thoughts that bond them, the emotions that keeps them together, and a system that governs them, you change these elements. This is what Islam does. You change these elements. You don't focus on the individual element. To change society, you change every element of society. So when you change the ahkam, when you change the laws and systems, and you make them Islamic systems, what's naturally going to happen? People's thoughts will change to Islamic ones. People's emotions will change to Islamic ones. And the individual will change. So the moral outcome will naturally be achieved via the systems of Islam being implemented. And when you look to uh, da'wah to non-Muslims, like we mentioned earlier, that yes, it is the Sunnah Prophet ﷺ to show da'wah through his, through his actions. But is that just it? Is Islam just morals? Are we going to call them to the moral aspect of Islam alone? If it is, like I said, what's the difference between us and a non-moral Muslim? Maybe just different faith. You get Christians who are moral, you get Hindus who are moral, you get atheists who are moral. Let's have a nice interfaith dialogue, don't we? Why not? All of us get together in a nice cozy room, discuss how all religions are great, all of them are the same, we're all similar, we're all moral, nice people. Let's get along. That's where it takes the discussion, if you view it from that perspective. So da'wah to non-Muslims should be the way that the Prophet ﷺ, he did it, isn't it? <clears throat> One element is giving individual da'wah and showing it through a character. But what's the most important element? That is when you change society, they will naturally be attracted to what? The way the society functions. <clears throat> the way the society functions. And this brings you on to my last point, inshallah, before I conclude. Which is that Islam in itself, this is the third part. What is Islam? Islam in itself is a deen, it's a way of life. It's a comprehensive worldview that's done what? It's set down a method for all of our actions. So the same way Islam has prescribed for us a way to pray our salah. The method by which we pray our salah. The way by which we do hajj. The way by which we carry our financial transactions. Islam has put down a way to do what? 
to change society. This is the nature of Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not leave humanity to decide everything themselves. He gave you a way to treat solutions. In Islam it doesn't say change the individual by changing his morals. It says you change society. This is the method of the Prophet ﷺ. And when the system of Islam is established, it's going to ensure that the ahkam of Islam are implemented and it will protect them. When it protects them, a society will develop that not only protects the Islamic identity and Islamic view of morals, it's going to nurture and build it. It's going to build Islamic personalities from a young age. People who understand how society functions. People who understand their, their akhlaq and learn their akhlaq. People who understand how to bring change to the world. And this system is the greatest form of da'wah that the non-Muslims will see. When the Prophet ﷺ uh, established a state in Medina, before that he was in Mecca, how many people over the 10 year period in Mecca became Muslims? Not many. About 80, between 80 and 100 people became Muslim. After the establishment of Islam in Medina, and the creation and forming of an Islamic society in Medina, when he came to liberate Mecca, and after Fath Mecca, by a few years, how many people came to Islam? 100,000. You multiply it by thousands. Why? Because there is a working model. There is a working system that not only builds a good and moral society, but it, uh, but it comes across to the world and the world sees it as something that functions and something they want to be part of. So in conclusion, morals in Islam are not a means to an end. Rather they are commands and prohibitions from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we understand that we become moral because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded us to, and we understand that in certain scenarios morals are good and in others they are bad, and this comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this should satisfy us. And when we look to the issue of society, we look and study it so that we understand the different elements of society. And then we look to Islam to see how Islam deals with this issue. Rather than merging the two from our minds and coming up with an issue. And to do this, we have to step out of the current lens society views the world. Take, take a step back and look to how Islam views the world. So we don't stay within the lens and framework of secularism. Where we split deen from dunya. We stand back and say, how does Islam view society and how do we change society? When that takes place, when we follow the method of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi society, we will build, inshallah, a system that is moral in its nature. That will build moral people and will take morals, akhlaq to the world. And people will naturally, Muslim and non-Muslim, will flock to the state. Because the ahkam are just, the ruling is just, people are honest, transactions are honest, politicians are honest, and ultimately, it is will be the greatest state because it comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sirah, and much more. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sira are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe. 
Share and tell a friend about IslamPodcast.com.